05 and 06 I deployed to Kuwait I used to wait every day for them to say Nature going home I miss my life, miss my wife For 15 months she was all alone But when I got back I felt out of control Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold I keep on drinking so I'm sinking in a river of liquor Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be so I invested in myself I started seeing coaches Life is a camera, I fixed the lens and now I see in focus Now my life's unrecognizable From my life just a couple years ago 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this and we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm called to be a leader I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it, then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey Bailey Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Championship Leadership Podcast. We got Jonathan Perry here uh, with us from Ohio. Thanks for being here, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Championship Leadership is the name of the podcast. What comes to mind for you or what does championship leadership mean to you when you hear that? Um, well, when I hear championship leadership, I probably think like a champion leader is probably someone who can manifest their vision within the mindset of others, to which in doing so creates various creative perspectives. From those perspectives, you can multiply the possibilities and create something unique that is powered by, uh, by then a well-rounded vision. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I'm excited to hear a little bit about your vision because I know um, a little bit about what you're up to and what you're doing. And and especially for someone, you know, I think uh, we were talking before you're 21, but you've been doing a lot of really, really cool, exciting things. When I was 21, I was not doing those those things. I was in a different phase in life. So um, Mm -hmm. so I'm excited to hear about it. But uh, what maybe why don't you uh, tell the listener right now, you know, a little bit about who you are and, and, you know, the path that you have been on and maybe how you got there and what it is that you're up to today. Yes. Yes. So I'm a filmmaker out of Ohio at 21. Um, I just transferred into Ohio state, so I'm still in my college years. Uh, but with that, I, I definitely haven't taken the student film route. Um, I've delved into the film studies end with my university studies, but on the back end out of school, Um, I've been doing my larger productions. Um, At 16, I uh, went up north in Michigan and shot a short film that was on the ice in the Arctic environment, and Amazon picked up that. Um, After And for a 16-year-old to do kind of stunts on the ice, have a stunts team, and put divers under the water was definitely uh, a large learning curve. But... Uh, it kicked off the larger productions that I, I wanted to do because um, I really wanted to bring that scale up immediately. Uh, with that, I then uh, did crookery during COVID, and that was over in Ohio. Uh, we had about 50 people in a house. I mean, during COVID, that's quite a feat because you have yeah. everything shut down. 
So luckily we were able to get all the best people in the state to work on the film because they're not working on anything else. But then you also have to consider the government regulations and such. So um, luckily we didn't have any cases of COVID from that. And that's a, a big thing to manage with <laughs> something you can't see. But uh, no then uh, after that, we sent Crookery through the film festival circuit. We actually just released that on YouTube uh, through Moybridge, which is a production company uh, I founded a year back. And uh, that film covers a home intrusion and the drama that ensues. So uh, we had police involved, uh, real police officers. Uh, and at that point in my career, I was also dealing with like prop guns and how these things work and especially a larger crew in production and post. And then after that, um, I immediately, I spent, I think a year in California then uh, wrote and direct game trailers, still doing so uh, remotely out of Ohio. And yeah. that's super fun because it's yeah. basically high packed action and uh, you are dealing with uh, explosions, weapons, all these things, but pretty fast paced stuff. And then recently I went off and embarked on filming Sentinelese, which has been in the works since Crookery. Uh, it is the first live action film about North Sentinel Island. Um, it was, I've had challenges with productions in the past, but not research challenges. This is the first film that I've had to delve into a ton of research, almost a year's worth, if not more. And then you have the production end of just pulling it off on uh, a Caribbean island. Uh, and also the story end, we had to construct uh, canoes, bows, arrows, clothing, um, uh, just everything and uh, find those resources on a small island and then bring that U.S. production format over to this island. Uh, and so that took about a crew of 70. And then at the moment, we're in post-production uh, and breezing on through to uh, get to a release. Very cool, man. Uh, what, how, how did you even get into that world? Uh, um, well, I definitely don't have any family that's connected to anything in film. Uh, so I definitely found myself as more an, of an artistic type in school, but then I also went through the scouts and stuff. So Eagle Scout and all that, uh, to, yeah. and I really couldn't help, but, uh, kind of lead some sort of, uh, crew in a way. And I found kind of my niche in film to where it embodies pretty much everything. I mean, you think about it like law, you got certain contracts involved, you got um, it just basically uh, bringing to life something from the scripts, costumes, makeup. Uh, I mean, everything that goes into a living, breathing thing you have to recreate. So that just really fascinated me. Uh, and yeah yeah that's awesome man that's great i love it um was it the the first project you talked about when you were 16 it sounds like it was a pretty large production um that one yeah yeah Subnibian. Mm. so uh we filmed that on an iced over pond uh, i wanted to do the major biomes with my first films and i'm still kind of in that phase about to transition into um, a larger feature, 
but I wanted to cover the Arctic environment uh, in the snowy conditions, the indoor environment, which uh, is a little bit easier, but you still have uh, certain challenges. And then you have the Caribbean environment in the desert or the water environment. I mean, with technology, everything can go wrong. Just a grain of sand getting in the wrong place can yeah. uh, have it. But then with each one of those, you have major safety concerns, which has been the large part of our production structure because, um, yeah, when you have people on ponds, uh, they may fall through. Uh, and we had emergency situations like that. Um, but luckily, we were prepared. And then, uh, yeah, divers going under. Um, and then, yeah, with uh, crookery, you have COVID. That was our major one. Yeah. Um, and then Sentinelese uh, had a lot more. Uh, I mean, uh, filming in a different country is just a whole new world. Everything I knew about production went out the window. Uh, yeah. You you can't do press releases to get crew over there. You can't do social media runs, posters. We even you have to do word of mouth. You have to send people to bars and restaurants and grocery stores to even recruit the people you need. Uh, and uh, just of course, then we had to rebuild, find the engineers to rebuild everything. Uh, and we found our vessel on the island, which is a 102 foot vessel, uh, that, uh, of course, then you need a crew to manage that as well. Um, and I mean, multiple boats, uh, for some shots, we had a speedboat following with a drone and then you have to line up the larger ship with the island. Uh, and then you're also talking about transforming this entire 102 foot vessel into a poaching vessel that, um, we we did so bringing uh, literally all the fishing equipment from around that island to uh, in cargo trucks up to the uh, dock and loading them on and such and uh, yeah yeah well yeah yeah i mean what, so well i guess this kind of goes into the next question a little bit but what how did you learn how to do all of this? Is this something that you just kind of learn as you go, which I'm sure there's a big part of that, but was it, you know, are there some people that really helped you throughout the way? Like, you know, some leaders, coaches, mentors that you've had, or, and it's always kind of less about who they are, but more so about like, what, you know, what is it about some of maybe these people that have helped you to, to take so much on and these incredible projects in such a short time at, at such a young age, right? Like what are some of the characteristics of that have stood out to you from some of the people that have guided you or impacted you? Um, well, usually I think with every production, uh, anyone who I've really looked to for solid guidance, uh, that would be a higher up than me has pretty much said, you're going to get people killed. Uh, and that becomes our main objective to, Make sure everyone's safe but yeah. um yeah we are going through something very risky but uh, and uh, mostly our crew is made up of excellent individuals i mean even on this island you may not find a film crew but you'll find seamstresses that can can become costume designers you can find uh beauty salons that can become makeup artists you can find uh and transform these people into their skill sets and each of them uh, can lead their own department and also teach me things along the way. So yeah. I've been fortunate enough to have some very experienced people like pull me aside and be like, okay, this is just how our lighting works. And this is what we can do. And, uh, but other than that, most situations, 
it's just a matter of learning it on the spot. Yeah. Uh, especially, yeah, yeah. On the island, we had a lot of that. So yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah. And what was uh, what was the main storyline behind that movie? Yes. So Sentinelese covers a Thai poaching ship that runs aground on North Sentinel Island uh, in the drama that ensues there. So we're talking about a a tribe that's uh, uncontacted uh, mostly. We had to do research with the anthropologists that actually have led every friendly expedition to the island. Uh, But that is limited. And I mean, there have been people that have gone up there and been killed. um, And there's poaching around those areas. But uh, that is a very hostile tribe that's disconnected from the world for thousands of years. Uh, and uh, so much so where the anthropologists don't even know some things about them, like their language. And uh, of so then we had to really dive into the, the research of firsthand accounts and what they've seen, what they've witnessed, uh, archival things from the museums over there. Uh, and that just covers the Sentinelese end, to which it probably took half a year to get in contact with people and then another year to do the research. Uh, and that was like sending letters to uh, just addresses in India or yeah. uh, making phone calls or uh, just every which way, which uh, at first didn't work out, but then we found our way there. And then you have the Thai poaching end. So you're dealing with uh, things that are going on in modern day over there where uh, the poachers, uh, at least Thai poachers, are basically taking Burmese slaves uh, from Myanmar uh, and other nations and taking them on these vessels. And it's pretty much modern day slavery. Uh, I mean, they're starving them. Uh, I had to, uh, I spoke with Thai poaching informants that were former Thai poachers, and they showed me videos of people being shot. Uh, just it's uh, brutal over there what happens in international waters. And it's surreal that it's happening still today. Uh, and so uh, those are the type of people that would actually enter into these restricted waters. And so I wanted to cover this story uh, based on facts, but the fictional scenario of this specific ship going into the running around on the island. Uh, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely a lot of research behind that. Love it, man. Yeah, I, I can imagine. What's... Um... Where, where do you come up with the ideas for these projects? Um, with this one, I just uh, went down a rabbit hole and I wanted to get, the thing is there's no close up footage and luckily so, I don't think anyone should get up close to the tribe um, and hopefully not. There's no real quality footage of what this tribe looks like, acts like. Now there is archival footage and such uh, but of course it's blurry. I wanted to get up close to this tribe and really let the public uh, see who they are and how they act. I mean, uh, they do have families on the island, uh, family structures and a way of life that of course is different than ours, but uh, seen up close is just uh, surreal to, to kind of see that human connection. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's really the goal of the film is just to like we had to uh, model their genetics with hair and makeup, uh, certain hair types and such. Uh, and of course we leveled the beach and had to recreate their beach environment uh, from the island. And yeah, and right now we're 
of course, we rebuilt all the canoes to scale, 20-foot outrigger canoes uh, working. And I mean, they're so primitive that they use, instead of paddles, they use punt poles to push off the coral. So that yeah. kind of limits them to the coral reef around the, yeah, the island. Right. Yeah. And wow. yeah, yeah. So you did have some some interaction with them? Uh, not the Sentinelies themselves, of course, no. but um, uh, the anthropologists that have had interaction with them, that have planted trees on the island, that have um, uh, gone up to the island, uh, that I've had crews shot at uh, from the island. Okay. Um, but uh, okay. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the Indian cool. government. So what's, uh, you know, you kind of started off talking about vision a bit. So what, what, uh, what is the vision for you? I think championship leaders have incredible vision and they, you know, have, a, a actually a courage to take action too, because there's a lot of people that will look at you and what it is that you're doing and all the big, great things that you're up to and, and think you're kind of nuts sometimes for doing it. Right. But that's championship leaders. They have that type of a vision and they have the courage to take action. What's, what's, what's the vision for you that you want to accomplish as you continue to move forward in your career and, and what's the impact that you're looking to make through that? Um, well, throughout my, throughout my career, I definitely, uh, look to also get into the technologies of the film industry. Um, I like to see the trajectory of where things are going with uh, whether it be streaming or different theater formats or what that will look like in 50 years for us viewing the contact, the content that I would actually make. Uh, so that's something I definitely in the long run will be a part of. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, through having the vision, it's really nothing unless you can get uh, the people to actually execute it with you and provide their own expertise as well. Uh, so definitely not being stubborn, like this is my way kind of thing. Um, I've definitely had the best ideas come from uh, different departments, whether it be uh, knowledge bases they've had from other productions and such. Uh, so uh, being open to shared knowledge is definitely important. Uh, ultimately, like wh where do you do you see yourself going? Like, do you want to be big time, like uh, movie production um, in the theaters every weekend, or what? Yeah, yeah. What do you? Um, is that the goal? Yeah, yeah, I would say yeah. so. Um, of of course, Sentinelese will go through film festivals, um, but I do like and even the the larger filmmakers they have uh similar struggles as well but not in you know they have a lot more access to certain things uh a lot faster but um you know there are films out there that are really pushing the boundaries and that's something that i want to do uh, and just keep on pushing uh, yeah. and see how far it can go but it, it just fascinates me to make it as large scale as possible. Like I can't yeah. really help myself to uh, have two people sitting down at a table talking. Uh, somehow it always turns into just a grand scheme of uh, just action packed or as big as I can make it. Um, I think Crookery was supposed to be like three minutes and then it became like four to seven, then nine, 10. Uh, and as a short film, yeah yeah uh, and then we filmed that in like 2.5 days which is really fast yeah. uh like 12 hour days of just scene after scene 
and everything had to go perfectly because you have such a, such a tight schedule. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's larger scale is definitely my format here. Very cool. Yeah. Um, do you continue to kind of stack on top of each other, each project you go move from to, to make it a little bit bigger and a little bit more of a production? Yes. Um, the, the thing is I was, yeah, I was looking at the Sentinelese thing and I was like, there's no way, I mean, you know, I knew in the back of my mind, it could definitely be done, but I was like the odds of everything coming together, the research and stuff, uh, people getting back to me, they were definitely slim, but, um, I am glad that we're the first ones actually, because I hope that at least, you know, if someone else in company is the island in their story, I want it to be accurate and actually uh, portray the tribe correctly uh, because, you know, you also don't want people going over there. Uh, so uh, each film has definitely been way larger than the next, uh, which is scary because, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how, much bigger I can get. Yeah. Um, right. Absolutely. Which, yeah. 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 I think I'm in the process of renting a train for my next. Yeah. One. I was just uh, going to say, so what is next? Uh, some, a feature film, uh, possibly with a train. Okay. I, that's about as much as I can say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. But very cool. Like, uh, like in a city or like out, out in the country somewhere or what? Um, probably somewhere in Ohio. I think that I want to, um, just show where my roots are a little bit too yeah, with okay. this film. So, yeah. uh, but Very of course cool. everything, you could go the CGI route and model a bunch of things and, yeah. you know, there's success and failures with that, but then you could go the practical route, which of course logistically can be harder, but, um, in the end post-production, which we're in, uh, it's definitely easier. Cause we don't have to, uh, 3d model a giant ship. We already, we had the giant ship and yeah, right. set sail. So, uh, that's the route I also want to go is mostly practical for my productions. Okay. Yeah. Love it. So how many, how many productions could you have going on at one time? Is it usually a one project deal at a time I would imagine, or well, I can different, different phases for different projects probably. Yeah. Usually two. Um, okay. so of course I got my, many stories with uh, my current work, writing trailers. Um, and that's like weekly being able to have an unlimited budget in a video game and uh, having CGI kind of put together your vision. But then um, uh, right now, I definitely wouldn't be like writing. I could write multiple films at once, but I couldn't uh, write and go through the production phase. So it's different phases. For instance, in post, I can write my next one, but um I definitely couldn't have like two productions at once uh, and be quality. So I think that's also uh, the route I'm taking is more or less quality over quantity. Some people are just out there shooting and shooting, but uh, I mean, yeah, we do everything in our power to get it right. Uh, so how common is it for you to like, uh, so you write your own productions uh, from what I'm hearing you say, like, is there a point where you're, you know, cause there's other people that are out there writing stories, right. And, and where you would take those on, is that something that you're open to, or is it something where you're always going to be um, doing your own I, if story? I, I've been approached to do some things, but um, unless I have like a, a good connection to it, I know that 
you enter production phase and things start to hit the fan and you want to make sure that the vision you went in with is the vision you go out with at, yeah. at least the one that you're competent if it does change. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I'm open to that, uh, as long as I have uh, a connection to it. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. Can harness that. Very cool. I love it. So you are in school though. In fact, you said, right. Yeah. So I'm studying the history of cinema. Uh, so film studies were at OSU Ohio state. Uh, but I, I, yeah, after high school, I took a gap year and did some traveling and, uh, did work. And, um, but uh, then I transferred a, a good bit around to other colleges and finally landed at Ohio state where I'm from, which really is the best fit for me. So Sure. Uh, that's great. It's, but of course I, my entire crew is just international. So I'm out of pretty much every time zone, whether yeah. it be with designers or, uh, VFX and stuff like that. Man, I got to imagine with all the, everything that you've already done, like all the experience that you already have, like you get a, you've done more than, um, I, I can imagine almost any professor that you would run across out there. Like, is it, what's, what's the drive for you to stay in school, uh, considering everything that you've already accomplished and all the things that you're already up to? Um, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, it gets really weird when I look at film production students, uh, because, yeah. you know, uh, I found that on these productions, what's really weird is, uh, the experienced crew that I've been in the unions and industry are like, just don't hire college students. They don't know the pressures of set. That's a huge thing. It's just the pressure, uh, the quickness and stuff. Uh, and so, you know, they may not know how to set up certain equipment. And so it's very weird that, uh, for some schools that people go to that to learn the production, but then, uh, I mean, I've been on the other end of it up hiring where I just can't hire that type of person, but, I'm really fascinated with the history of cinema. Uh, I okay. don't know how much uh, benefit, I mean, other than uh, I, you know, referencing it for my own productions and seeing how past people have struggled in the kind of history of cinema of actually building the, you know, theaters we have today and the cameras and stuff. That's very interesting to me to see how the entrepreneurs back then did it. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, uh, odd, but um, I mean, I've I've guest spoke at a few colleges and stuff, yeah, uh, which is yeah. odd. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah, not surprised. That's kind of why I asked. I mean, yeah, you have a lot of experience already. And uh, but anyway, I was just curious to hear that. Um, as we start to wrap this up, like if what. What is, you know, one or two things that you could take maybe from the experiences that you've had for, for the listener right now, you know, that's an entrepreneur or a business owner um, in a completely different field than what you, you're doing. I, I know there's still some, some great lessons or principles that you've, you've picked up on that you have through what you've done that would be useful to others that if they applied today would help them move their life forward today, what would that be? I think that uh, a format of kind of building a production i've heard also other entrepreneurs uh, with their companies have done is really just that that scaled down uh, logistics of asking a thousand people and then like you know 
200 of them say maybe, and then you get 100 that say yes, and then out of those 100, 50 of them are qualified, and out of those 50, um, like actually 20 of them see your vision, and then out of those 20, uh, you connect with 10 of them, and yeah. uh, they're actually hireable. So, or uh, same goes for opportunities like uh, reaching out to um, uh, whether it be investors or uh, certain uh, aspects of film. Just, but I think that's where a lot of whether it be film students or film production uh, people don't really put in the work is just yeah you might have a very specific vision and uh thing you can maybe give to whether it be employees for their benefits or um let's say you have a certain price point um and it doesn't fit with usually the industry standard or uh, a yeah yeah uh, someone will say yes to that as long as you ask enough people really uh and someone experienced will as well um and it's just also that's a benefit to networking. It just has a ton of benefits because you're also connecting with hundreds of people. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, you might get led in a different direction as well. So yeah, that's more positive for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jonathan, what would be the best way for the listener to, you know, find out more about your, your films and what you're up to? Is there a main place that, that we could send them? Yes. So we have social media that just got up and running for Sentinelese. Uh, It's Sentinelese Film on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay. And uh, I'm over on Instagram at at Jonathan Perry Films. Um, And of course, we now have Crookery streaming on YouTube uh, through Moybridge. And yeah, that's my last short film. Okay. Uh, So they can go watch that. Uh, and then we also have details releasing on our social media of whether it be progress with post-production or behind the scenes things. Uh, I mean, one major thing that's probably weird to see is cause I also did this entire Island production with a broken kneecap. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah. I arrived on the Island in like a wheelchair Oh no! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> then I was walking by the end of it, but okay. that, that definitely added a very large level of pain. Oh man, and <laughs> stress think. probably too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the stress actually takes away the kind of physical the, pain. The pain. <laughs> so that's when yeah. I knew it was like really stressful. Because that yeah, was, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, we'll get to, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that we link all those up so we can get out there and check those out. I'll definitely going to be checking those out and uh, appreciate your time here so much. If, if, uh, as you're listening right now, if you, if, if you love this episode, you love this content, please go check out Jonathan and, and those links and also stay right here. Don't go anywhere for the next episode. Appreciate you. And thank you so much, Jonathan today for taking some time. Thank you for having me again. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait I used to wait every day for them to say Nature going home, I miss my life, miss my wife For 15 months, he was all alone 
When I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see him focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm called to be a leader, I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer. We can do anything we want, if I said it then I meant it, I probably already did it. Consider it Championship Leadership Podcast. Hey, baby.